Folks, we're sponsored today by Donors Trust, the tax-friendly way to preserve your charitable giving. In times of crisis, those with a giving spirit and a desire to build up civil society find ways to be helpful. And that's when it's good to have a charitable resource ready to deploy when they're needed most. Donors Trust offers donor-advised funds or giving accounts. You can use these funds as your own charitable investment account and manage your charitable giving in a way that's smart, tax-advantaged, aligned with your values, and private. Donors Trust clients are using their funds to support charities helping their local communities while also using their giving account to simultaneously support think tanks and liberty-minded organizations that believe our constitutional rights shouldn't get lost in a time of emergency. Now is the time to take a closer look at Donors Trust and join their community of liberty-minded donors by opening a donor-advised fund. Go to DonorsTrust.org slash JustNews for the ultimate survival guide to charitable giving and learn how a donor advised fund can preserve your ability to give to the charities you love. That's DonorsTrust.org slash Just News. ladies. Hello, gentlemen. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show. I'm Jack Fowler, the host, the star, the namesake. That's Victor Davis Hanson. He's the Martin and Neely Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. He has a website, official, The Blade of Perseus. And you will find that at victorhanson.com. And towards the end of the show, I will be telling you why you should be subscribing Victor, lots of interesting things to get your take on. And one of them is um, the Air Force Academy. We've talked in the past about, well, not only the academies, but the the, the uh, uh, Pentagon itself, how DEI is run rampant. But there's a really interesting article uh, on the blog of AMAC, which has uh, sponsored uh, our podcast many times, the, Amer- the Association of Mature American Citizens. And it's about the troubling DEI consequences at the Air Force Academy. And we'll talk about uh, that, Victor. We have a couple of uh, announcements for president. Well, Jill Stein, maybe Joe Manchin. Get your thoughts on that. And one or two other things. We'll, we'll get to all that right after these important messages. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, Never Frozen Meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. What are you waiting for? For our listeners, Factor is giving you 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month when you use the promo code VICTOR50 at factormeals.com slash VICTOR50. Choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, or simply eat well-balanced with 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Remember, 
To get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month, head to factormeals.com slash Victor50. That's V-I-C-T-O-R-5-0. And use the code Victor50. That's code Victor50 at factormeals.com slash Victor50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Hey, folks, if you've been listening to our show, you've probably heard Victor talk about Hillsdale College. It's one of the few colleges in the U.S. still interested in teaching truth. What you probably didn't know is that they have over 40 free online courses. And Victor is one of the professors in three of those courses, American Citizenship and its Decline, based on Victor's book, The Dying Citizen, How Progressive Elites, Tribalism, and globalization are destroying the idea of America, the Second World Wars, based on his book by the same name, and Athens and Sparta, partly based on his book, A War Like No Other, How the Athenians and Spartans Fought the Peloponnesian War. Don't you wish Victor would have been one of your professors in college? Well, now you can join him as he covers some of the main ideas of his books with Hillsdale College's online courses all available for free. That's right, for free. The courses are seven to nine episodes long, and they are self-spaced, so you can take them whenever and wherever. I think I'm going to start with American Citizenship and Its Decline, where Victor explores the history of citizenship in the West and the threats it faces today. Threats like the erosion of the middle class, the disappearance of our borders, the growth of an unaccountable deep state, and the rise of globalist organizations. Hey, start your free course with Victor Davis Hansen today. Go right now to hillsdale.edu slash VDH to start. It's free and it's easy to get started. That's hillsdale.edu slash VDH to start. hillsdale.edu slash VDH. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. So, Victor, um, here's the headline. Diversity, equity and inclusion reign supreme at the Air Force Academy. And this was published on the AMAC blog. It was written by Scott Sturman and Joe Arbuckle, who's a retired major general. And um, let me just read a bit here, Victor. Um what does it say here about, uh, sorry, for the past 10 years, United States Air Force Academy has been immersed in DEI programming. What are the results? From 2017 to 2018, six permanent professors, including a department chairman, resigned from the academy. The timing, circumstances, and reasons are unknown, but in a public, uh, in a statement published last week, all of the professors pointed to sweeping cultural changes at the academy. In the open letter, they detail the actions of the dean of academics, who was disdainful of the honor code and averse to academic excellence. The dean developed academic courses of low expectations to adapt to the scholastic aptitude of intercollegiate athletes, an atmosphere of intimidation, silenceful professors, as the dean transferred power and influence to civilian faculty members. The degradation of the academic experience is so complete that the professors wonder if recovery is possible. Victor, I have a feeling that this may 
be the same thing happening. The Naval Academy at West Point, man, the Coast Guard Academy. Victor, what are your thoughts about this kind of news? Well, you know, the Air Force all traditionally was the one branch that didn't really have the recruitment problems because the idea was that it was there were more uh, technological applications in the post-service world for a person who enlisted. Uh, it, it had that reputation. When you go to the air, I've spoken there four or five times. It, it really stresses technology more than, say, West Point or the Naval Academy. So, and, and now, Jack, they're short 2,000 recruits, which doesn't seem like a lot, except the Air Force is not as big as the Army or the Navy. So, it's serious. And I've been hearing when I, I have gone there, but I haven't gone there for about six years. But even then, it, there was a little bit of that woke stuff creeping in. But now, you know, they have a, I think they have a diversity inclusion minor and they have, when this whole thing came out about reading list, Kendi, and I remember looking at the reading list. I think they had that guy in Star Trek. Remember him, George Taki, uh, Sulu. Oh, he's a, he's a raging lefty. Yeah. Yeah. Gay guy. And he had a whole manifestation about how awful the United States was in one of his books. I don't know if that was the one that was designed, but you were getting a lot of criticism about the Air Force Academy's woke agenda. And this is very important because one of the way we maintain deterrence is traditionally when American pilots go up in the skies, whether it's in the Balkans or whether it was during the Reagan area era uh, against the Libyans or whether it's in the skies over the eastern Mediterranean, nobody screws around with them because they're superior and they're usually their planes are superior. The pilots are considered the best in the world. And when you start tampering with that, And you have sort of like Stanford University word lists where you can't use the word mom or dad because some Air Force Academy's children are children of one parent. So they suggest you say you all rather than you. You're really taking, as I said earlier, it's a sin of commission and omission. You're not only destroying morale and sending a message to cadets there that your promotion and your career will not entirely be uh, adjudicated by merit, but it will have something to do with your race. In other words, when you're in a class and you look around and you think, if I am non-white, I'm going to get an edge. And if I am white, I'm going to not have that edge. And it has nothing to do with class. So they do not ask my Middle Eastern cadet or my black cadet or my Latino cadet, whether they were the children of dentists or doctors or oil money, they don't care. It's just superficial appearance. So that that's going to destroy morale and it already has. And that's why they're short recruitment and people don't want to teach their in the same degree they did in the past. And again, there's no brave superintendents, com- commandant. Nobody wants to go in there and say, this is, antithetical to battlefield efficacy. And it will it will eventually mean that really good people are not going to go into the Air Force. And the people who were in there were going to get cynical because they feel they're not going to be promoted on how they fly a plane or or shoot a missile or something. And and I don't know how we're going to maintain 
or preeminence unless you assume, and I don't assume it, but I, that these people think the United States is so far ahead of everybody else that we're so powerful that we can afford to have a commissariat, a commissar system that monitors our ideology, sex, race, ethnic background. And I don't think we are. So I don't think we have any margin of error. And China certainly doesn't do this. Russia doesn't do this. And there's a reason why they don't do it. And they did it before under Mao in China, and they did it under Stalin and Khrushchev and probably Brezhnev as well, where they had commissars that used ideological criteria to adjudicate performance. Right. And they found they couldn't compete with us or the West. It didn't do that. Now the West is doing it, and they don't. <laughs> it's... Yeah, it's bizarre. I'm wondering, you know, this is uh, unfair. I'm just springing this on you, but I'm wondering if uh, well, I sh we shouldn't speculate, but the Army War College and the Naval War College, first of all, they they are arms of of the military, yes. Or there's some is there some semi private kind of uh, public private thing there? But whether whatever their status is, do you think you think they may also be emerging hotbeds of DEI, uh, uh, is it infecting there too? Do you have any idea about that? You mean where again? Uh, Naval War College? Yes, yes. Uh, Post-Naval yeah. graduate. Yeah, absolutely. All of them. All of yeah. them. Because they're interconnected. The Army War College. I've spoken at the Army War College. I've spoken at the Naval Postgraduate School of Monterey. I've spoken at the Naval War College. Yes, absolutely. And because... Once you set a standard that's not meritocratic, people make the necessary adjustments. So the word gets out, you're going to be promoted, not how many times you landed on a carrier, for example, in the Navy, and you didn't hit the third cable, you were just perfect, but on your race or gender or ethnic background. And then that's going to mean that a lot of people won't take that as seriously as they will the other criteria. And that will be permeating throughout the entire services. And, and you know that because we had Mr. Gilead, was his name Gilead, Gilead, the head of uh, chief of naval operations, Mark Milley, chairman of the Joint Chiefs, Lloyd Austin, secretary of defense. And shortly after George Floyd, I think it was June 2021, we had those congressional hearings and they were you know, talking about white rage, white privilege, white supremacy, Professor Kendi. Uh, anti, be a racist to be an anti-racist. And they were just fools. They just got up there and made them full of themselves. And they just parroted all these lines and they just simply lied to it. And then when we get out of Afghanistan, I can, I, I still shudder. I, I, I know I beat that horse to death, but a pride flag on the embassy is you're humiliated. And then we have a press conference and this Air Force lackey says, and I want to assure you that we had special Mediterranean food for our Afghan friends that were airlifted back to the United States. I think that is the yeah. least consideration. How about the thousands of people you left there? Right. Why don't you talk about that, not whether they had the right type of hummus or something dip for their Mediterranean yeah, but that shows you how it, how it corrupts everything. And it, it's so weird because if you study the cultural revolution under Mao or what happened to the Soviet army, the Red Army in the first year of the invasion by Germany, you can see where that leads to. It, it just means that your whole system breaks down and it breeds just 
you know, go watch uh, Enemy at the Gates and see what a commissar. I know it's a fictional, it's based on a real story, supposedly, but you can see how even in a fictional context, all the criteria that go into making uh, decisions that are not based on battlefield, but on propaganda or public relations or advancement. Yes. And the Soviet Union said we're going to promote people that show the lo- that are the loudest and the longest demagogues about the Soviet system and Marxism or you know Trotsky, not Trotsky probably, but Marxist Leninist dogma, and and we just say the same thing with DEI. And I, I I went on a rant in that last podcast, but when you, you know, the universities, the English department or classics department, I can see the damage there, but I don't think it's going to directly affect our F-35 program or the pilots in a rabbit. Right. Right. This, this does. And the people who are corrupting these academies come from the humanities or the social sciences. And it's a very lucrative thing for a DEI contractor to get these bids and they go in and they say, read this and this and this, and you're racist, this, this, this. You over there are victims. You over there are victimizers. Hey, you back there are an oppressed. You next to me are an oppressor. And that's just designed to divide people. I don't know where anybody got this idea that diversity was good. It's always unity. Diversity is a challenge. Diversity of opinion might be good. But to divide up a society by your superficial appearance and call that, that's divisiveness, not diversity. And unity is what you want. Well, Victor, um, talk to our listeners for a second. If you're too busy with holiday plans to cook and you want to make sure you're eating well, well, you can do that with Factor. Skip the extra trip to the grocery store and the chopping, prepping, and cleaning up, too while still getting the flavor and nutritional quality you need. Factors, fresh, never frozen meals are ready in just two minutes. So all you have to do is heat and enjoy. And for our listeners of the Victor Davis Hanson Show, Factor is giving you 50% off. Head to factormeals.com slash Victor50 and use that code Victor50, Victor50, and use it to get 50% off. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service, can help you fuel up fast for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with chef-prepared, dietitian-approved, ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle while tackling all your holiday to-dos. So again, head to factormeals.com slash victor five zero. And use the code VICTOR50, V-I-C-T-O-R-5-0, to get 50% off. That's code VICTOR50 at factormeals.com slash VICTOR50 to get 50% off. And we thank Factor for sponsoring the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Victor, let's get a little American politics uh, political. A couple of news stories this past week. One is... um, after all he's done, after all Joe Biden has done to destroy the American energy industry and to kiss the tuchus of the uh, of AOC and the green agenda, the green lady, Jill Stein, is announcing she's going to be running for president. 
kind of seems like a middle finger to yeah to if, Joe Biden. If the Republicans blow this, this is a election delivered up on a golden platter. It's a big fat turkey. I mean, think about it. You've got a president that is suffering a quadfecta fecta of a corruption. It's mounting, mounting, to use the left's term, the, the walls are closing in. Then you've got dementia, that he doesn't know where he is or who he is half the time. And then you have his polls that show him bef- below 40% increasingly. And then you have his record on the border, on crime, on energy, on foreign. It's a disaster. And if they can't defeat this guy, with that alone, it's unfathomable. But now you add these other things that you just talked about. So Joe Biden is going to have Robert Kennedy, whatever you say about, well, he'll take as many from Trump. No, he's a left winger. And they're going to have Jill Stein, who did some damage to Hillary in 2016. And then the black vote is starting to defect slightly from Biden. Maybe it will be uh, he'll only get, I don't know, 85 percent, which would be very important given Obama got 96. And Cornell West will add to that. That's number three. And then you have Joe Manchin lurking out there that he might be third way, kind of a Joe Lieberman type candidate. And he would take away. I think a lot of suburbanites and you add it all together and you've got four third party possible candidates that would really hurt Joe Biden. In addition to these other four things I said that are doing. And if you can't offer a viable candidate and unite the Republican Party and spend and raise as much money as the Democrats and ensure ballot integrity, then we deserve to lose. Here are some of the I know people have heard the swing state polls, but as we're talking today and we are recording on Saturday, the 11th, I'm looking at real clear politics right now, Victor, and the numbers are uh, in Wisconsin, Trump up two, Biden's up one in Michigan, Trump's up three in Pennsylvania, up nine in Georgia, up four in both Nevada and Arizona. And those are Bloomberg uh, polls and they seem to be um, in uh, Emerson swing state polls has Trump 49 41 in Georgia, Pennsylvania. He's up by four Nevada. He's up again, Arizona. So, so Wisconsin and Michigan are, are tight states, but still those are, you know, five out of six, six, five out of seven, six out of seven, whatever. Um, uh, uh, pro Trump and Trump is one of them. It's up by nine in Georgia, and Trump's on on going to be on in trial in Georgia. So, and, and that's interesting because remember it was it was in Georgia that we lost not two close Senate races to Democrats, but two close Senate races to socialist Democrats, the hardest left probably of in the entire uh, U.S. Senate, and so. That shows you that tragedy that basically Georgians want a conservative, viable alternative. And when they're given one, and that is Joe Biden is not an alternative uh, to a conservative, they'll go for it. But we we it, it means that Georgia really isn't purple like everybody says it is. And it can if Republicans offer a difference from this 
disastrous presidency, they'll win that state. And that's good news. Yeah. Well, we don't have to go over, um, you know, rehash, relitigate um, those special elections. But, you know, Donald Trump did. I think there's some culpability there for those uh, two socialist senators. And um, and then the ensuing election was with. Um, oh, my gosh, I can't remember his name. The, 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 uh, Herschel Walker was. Oh, my mommy. What a candidate. Um, anyway, Victor. Uh, we're going to um, we're going to get your your uh, your views on the Stanford Silicon Valley left wing intersectionality, at, which you've written about on Twitter slash X. And we're going to get to that right after these important messages. Have you heard of cancer fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and veggies may actually lower, lower your risk of cancer. Hopefully you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. If not, you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is found in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. Will Field of Greens prevent, treat, or cure cancer? No, but it's so powerful, it promises at your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or your money back. I got you 15% off and free rush shipping. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code VICTOR, V-I-C-T-O-R, for your discount. That's promo code VICTOR at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. Can't pay the IRS? Haven't filed in a while? Receiving threatening letters? Yeah, it's about to get worse. The IRS is hiring an army of agents targeting hardworking Americans like you. You need warriors on your side. You need Tax Network USA. Tax Network USA employs brilliant strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. For instance, they've discovered a limited-time special offer that the IRS is willing to waive $1 billion in penalties. Find out if you qualify before it's too late. Never call the IRS alone. Let Tax Network USA attorneys handle it. They have preferred direct lines to the IRS. They know which agents to work with and which to avoid. They've resolved over $1 billion in tax debts and offer a best-in-class guarantee. Schedule your free consultation now. Call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit taxnetworkusa.com slash victor. taxnetworkusa.com slash victor. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson show. So, Victor, we've mentioned this um, recently. I have anyway on the show, and uh, you've been you've been very active on Twitter over the last um, couple of done, months. Yeah, I've never done it in my life until the last um, five weeks. Yeah. It, was an, it was an inert Twitter account that my uh, uh, at, when I was at. I am at the Hoover Institution. People in their social media were using it to advertise things like this. 
I, I think it had, I don't know, 240,000. But my daughter um, decided that she wanted to help. And so she suggested she would um, encourage me to start doing it and not to just to put a one or two lines, but maybe have many columns. So I've been doing that for about five weeks. We are up to, I think we're up to about 460,000 now. And so there is an audience for it. Yeah, no, it's very, very, um, and great stuff. And again, on top, it's already it's on top of what you already write for American Greatness, syndicated column, your ultra pieces for your for your website, and now you're doing some significant writing for 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 X. And uh, Victor, you're a machine. I don't, I don't get how you how you can write. I have that to be much. careful because I want to. I, I hope it's. Each time you write something additionally, and if I do three ultras and then two columns and I do three little mini tweets, you can see it's eight, eight things a week. You get yeah. to, you know, yeah. six, it's, seven thousand words. So you don't want to and you have to research the stuff. You just don't want to blather. So you can lose the quantity uh, quality. So I'm, I'm not going to keep that pace up. One of the things well, I'm going to stop doing is speaking out of state in January. And that'll help a lot. I, I well, we'll get to this particular tweet, but I do have to say I I, I got some emails from folks who you know they people hear partial and they thought you were retiring totally. I think I will be. Uh, <laughs> oh, well, let me, from, what are you going to say? Speaking out of state, I yeah. you know since <laughs> since September I got kind of over. I had long COVID and I'm starting right. to feel better, and then bam, I went eight days to Michigan and then I went three and a half days to Texas and then I went to Las Vegas and then I went to out back to Washington DC and then I'm on my I'm down I've gone three times to Los Angeles and now I'm on my way to Milwaukee tomorrow early morning and then I've got to come back and go back to Palm Beach so it's just you get tired of the road warrior Ing, yes. and you you've had um you know, I travel a lot too, but and we trade notes sometimes on. But you are the king of of uh, travel chaos. Uh, yeah, it's uh, hard to uh, fly out of Fresno, California, and get a connection. And when I go to San Jose or San Francisco, then I have a three hour drive to my farm, uh, or if I'm not staying at my apartment in Palo Alto, so and it's hard to get connections these days. We, you and I, have talked about tra air travel and so blank blank disaster a lot of times yeah. i'm getting so yeah. tick of I, near near you know touch down on the yeah. ground then take off again those near misses or fly around i'm getting tired of the 16 wheelchairs uh go on the plane and then when you go to a connection suddenly everybody's been cured of their ailments since three people need assistance getting off and you know the guy yeah. comes in with the, uh you know, it looks like a cargo uh, box for his carry-on while he's on his cell phone, you know, blocking the entrance. And you're, it's just little things that make you neurotic or something. I'm not, that's not my anxious. Opinion. Yeah. It's, yeah it's, I don't, yeah. I don't like it well, anymore. It's not like it was. Uh, you, you, you rich listeners out there, get, get a private plane. Maybe, maybe you Victor, Victor to your neighborhood that way. Anyway, Victor. Back on this this uh, post, Stanford Silicon Valley left wing politics intersectionality. It begins. The House Judiciary Committee just revealed how the Department of Homeland Security worked with Stanford University to form a disinformation group. Victor, you have write some takeaways on this. Why, why, why did you write this? Well, we we've known that 
the Biden administration uh, and even before the Biden administration, deep moles in the Trump administration, the bureaucracy, especially the FBI, were working with Twitter, for example, to uh, censor the news. And even they had, I, I think they paid Twitter $3 million. They have 11 former employees there, including their general counsel, Mr. Baker, who retired and got, I think, I don't know, five or six times the salary or more to work for Twitter. But there was something called the Stanford Internet um, Laboratory. They have all different names for it. Um, and anyway, my, the point I'm making is that they were actively engaged with the Department of Homeland Security to, quote, unquote, form a disinformation group, which means that any information that they came across on the news that they found was not helpful to the progressive agenda would be suppressed. And they partnered with the Election Integrity Partnership. Just remember when it's anything to do with the left, whether the extreme left like the People's Republic of, you know, blank, blank. It's not a republic. And when you say election integrity partnership, it means it's the opposite. It is the election uh, biased partnership. And when it partners with the Stanford Internet Observatory, it's not observing anything. It's the Stanford's Internet Action Group. And so one of the people that was involved in that project actually came to the Hoover Institution and gave a lecture and I think was in some ways affiliated. I was shocked by that because I followed that person's career and it's it's not. Who was that, Victor? I don't want to mention because I have sort of a oh, okay. private, private code that I don't criticize the institution okay. with detail that, that hires me, but I was very upset about that because okay. that we, it wasn't an I will say in our defense, it wasn't a permanent academic. It was a visiting billet. But uh -huh. It gave that person the, I don't know, the cachet that he was representing us. And he wasn't. He was part of this Stanford Internet Observatory, right? as I remember. And they pervert. I mean, it's a perversion of academia to use these people from Stanford University. And then they partner with Silicon Valley uh, and they partner with Homeland Security, and the whole purpose of it is to suggest that a laptop that is obviously Hunter's possession is somehow not, and any information contrary to that in the public realm will be censored or suppressed. And we've talked about Google searches that are warped, but to have uh, the order of the results favor a particular point of view. But the point of that tweet, and I wrote up in May of this year, if anybody wanted, Roger Kimball edits a wonderful magazine called New Criteria. And I wrote right. an article about the nexus or the trifecta of Stanford, Bay Area politicians, Silicon Valley. So where the $9 trillion in market capitalization of Google, Facebook, Meta, Apple, Twitter, all of those groups put together. Then you compound it with the academic sheen of respectability that Stanford impugns. And Stanford trustees come from there. Uh, Stanford employees, high employees go to their boards. It's, it's symbiosis. And then you add all of that to, as I said, 
the barrier of politicians. And you have to ask yourself, Jack, why is it that this little place that's a total disaster, San Francisco, by any barometer, any barometer, it is a one-party city. It's got homeless. It's got crime. It is filthy. It's a beautiful city. They got a wonderful inheritance and they destroyed it. But it has produced Dianne Feinstein, who we know had a Chinese spy as her chauffeur, who husband had sizable investments in China, who was very, I thought, for somebody that I had some modicum of respect for, I thought she was awful during the, the Kavanaugh hearings. And then we got Nancy Pelosi in that same basically zip code. No, no need to elaborate, Nancy. And then we got Gavin Newsom. And then we got Jerry Brown, was mayor of Oakland, that area, and before he was governor. And, of course, we got Barbara Boxer, who was famous for election denialism. She was the only senator in 2004 to try to stop the Electoral College. We forget about that because now that's considered insurrection. She was leading the House members, even though she was in the Senate. So you have all of those people. And that group together is very toxic. I don't know why the nation looks toward its national leadership. But if you look right now, Jack, the second most powerful person in the United States, Kamala Harris, is from the Bay Area. And the formerly third most powerful person was Nancy Pelosi from the Bay Area. And the governor that everybody's talking about for president uh, as a candidate is from the Bay Area, Gavin Newsom. And his predecessor who ran for president, I think three times, Jerry Brown, was from the was active in as an office holder from the Bay Area. And probably the most prominent woman in the last 50 years in the U.S. Senate was from the Bay Area, Dianne Feinstein. So don't forget Willie Brown and Willie Brown was a national figure. And that was because they felt that the Berkeley, the twin universities of Berkeley, Stanford, give them sort of an Ivy League patina. And then they had all this money behind them from Silicon Valley. And the result of it is, as I wrote, Stanford, you know, People who go to Stanford never let anybody, they always let everybody know they went to Stanford because we don't have the Ivy League out here. We don't have Princeton, Yale, Harvard in a row. We have one uh, private university with a huge endowment, almost $40 billion, Stanford. And it gets, it's in a rivalry from supposedly the top flight of the nine UC campuses, Berkeley. And traditionally, those two anchored the West Coast, uh, higher education, excellence. At least that's what they tried to sell people. And, you know, in my family from this little farm, my mother went as a BA and then JD. My Her sister went with a BA and an MA. This is long ago. My nephew went there. My first cousin, who was more like our sister, grew up with us. She went there. I went there. And uh, there was something to be said for it. I just remember the classics PhD program was very rigorous and there was no woke or DEI, anything other than intellectual rigor. And I think that was true of the other people. But now, I mean, we had during the the October 7th aftermath, we had this uh, lecture, Loggins. He he was the architect of Colin Kaepernick's transformation into a so-so athlete, into a stark raving madman. Uh, a racist and 
he's teaching a class at Stanford on the basis of that mentorship. And what does he do? As soon as it takes him a nanosecond, Jack, to hear that a bunch of Jews, I guess that's what he would say, but you know, 1400 Jews are butchered in the most savage manner, manner imaginable. And he's separating Jews in his class. He says, you go over there, you're Jewish, leave your property over there. And now you know how it feels. So that was a big embarrassment. And then, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that when Ben Shapiro spoke, they had kind of insect repellent cans, you know, Ben be gone, kind of playing on the theme of gassing Jews. And nobody did anything about it. You know, they were sort of, oh, we don't want to do that. Uh, that we find that disturbing. You can imagine if they if the target of that had been Latinos or gays or blacks or women, it would have gone crazy. And then we had you you remember the Stanford Law School, Judge Duncan fiasco, where finally the trans uh, crowd people were saying, I hope your daughter's raped and the DEIs are hijacked. Um, and then we come, of course, to the most infamous Stanford scandal, and that is Sam Bankman Freed, who I think, except for George Soros, gave the most money to candidates. But like George Soros, who's banned today, Jack, from going to France because he's a fel convicted felon and he manipulated at one time the financial markets to almost break the Bank of England. So following in that Bernie Madoff, George Soros tradition, Bankman Freed, you know, destroyed the fortunes of a lot of people while he siphoned money to Democratic candidates in 2020 and earlier. And then his professor, Professor Freed and Professor Bankman, leftist professor, she uh, funneled dark money, I think up to $40 million from Silicon Valley people who didn't want to be known, which I think we're always told by Jane Meyer and other liberals is, is horrible, dark money and all that. That's what the left is experts at now. And he was a equity tax lawyer. And now we find out that both of them were very busy, uh, intricately tied in with their son's uh, nefarious career. And we have that great email when the father, remember, Professor Bankman says, uh, Sam, is something wrong? I, I thought I was promised a million dollars for consulting, not a, basically a measly 200000 a year. And then all of a sudden, they ended up with $16 million in real estate property. And, and then he was on the Stanford campus in house arrest, house arrest after destroying the whole reputation of the cryptocurrency market and destroying the fine, almost destroying the financial markets. And he's out in his lawn about, about a quarter mile from where my apartment is. And then suddenly we learned that he was using that uh, that leniency by the court to tamper with witnesses from on his computer, apparently. And then we had the Theranos Ponzi scheme that Stanford was involved in, in the sense that Elizabeth Holmes was a Stanford graduate. You say, don't blame her, Victor. She didn't graduate, really. She was she dropped out. Yes, but she got the idea for this Ponzi scheme while at Stanford. And yes, she was on the Stanford campus ubiquitously raising money and trying to develop contacts. And yes, I will not name their names out of, I don't know what, but there were four members of my institution that were on her board, three members and another person that was sometimes associated with us at Hoover. And that was a 
classic Ponzi scheme. It was completely, that was one thing that John Ioannidis, who was vilified unfairly by Stanford University for his skepticism about the efficacy of the lockdowns, had exposed Jack. And he basically wrote a series of articles and said, the idea you can take one drop and put it on an iPhone and you're going to be able to get a complete readout of a person's blood uh, profile without very microscopic sample of blood is absolutely ridiculous. And he warned people. Nobody listened to him. And then we had the elimination of the harmful language. <laughs> you remember that, Jack? Can't say what? America? Yeah. Can't say immigrant? Yeah. We, had, we had that. I could go on and on and on, but a hundred years of all that, more than 100 years, 150 years of building a great institution and watching one generation in the last 15 years. And I'm not even talking about the forced leverage resignation of our president at Stanford and his constant denials. And maybe they fired him for other reasons other than his culpability or exposure on scientific research. I don't know. I'm not qualified to adjudicate that. But my point is one generation in the last 10 years did almost everything they could to destroy the reputation of that university. And there was one common denominator. They were all people of the left, and they felt that any means necessary to advance an election or to further the progressive cause or to highlight particular issues like the trans issue or to find a veneer of liberality to mask your greed, you name it, they employed. And the in the process, they destroy the reputation of a great university. I'm not even getting into the reparations type of admissions because they are now boasting on their website that only 20% of the students that they admitted this past year were white, even though the general population, I think, is 67 to 70% white. And even among young people, it's at least 55 or 60%. So they're deliberately using racial quotas, and they abolish the SAT scores as a requirement. And then the San Jose Mercury and other venues ran stories bragging that Stanford had refused, given the particular year, 60 to 70 percent of those who had taken the SAT, either optionally or as earlier required, and got perfect scores. You've got to be a genius to get a perfect score on the SAT. You really do. I took it as a college student, and I took the GRE form. It's very hard to get a perfect score. And yet, why would you want anybody to know that you were rejecting 60 to 70% of the people who got perfect score? You were yeah. recruiting them. Right. And yet, that is what this generation did. And I won't even get in. I will get in. I will get into what they did to Scott Atlas and Jay Bacharya and John Ioannidis, and they just went out to vilify their reputations for what? For suggesting that the lockdown, if we persisted, might entail greater costs both to our health and our economy than the virus itself, and that the vaccinations, while of some utility, but given the changing mutations and uh, unpredictability of the COVID virus, uh, would not be ironclad proof 94, 96% as Dr. Fauci had promised. And then they also suggested that if you were going to lock down a whole generation of school kids and you're going to suffer family abuse, can't miss cancer screening, the whole thing. And they were 
completely uh, confirmed in all of their prognostications. And we know now from studies abroad in here that what they warned about happened both economically, psychologically, medically to the United States. And guess what, Jack? Not one person from the Stanford Medical School who signed petitions damning Scott Atlas and even the people who attempted to yank his license have ever received, uh, have ever given an apology to Scott or said, mea culpa, mea culpa, I was wrong, including some of the top administrators who piled on. And I will just end by saying, I don't think universities should weigh in on every political event. That's not, they're not an op-ed section. They're not pundits, but they always pander. So if there's any trans or race issue or green issue, they always try to pander and they weigh in. And so when you hear news that 1,400 people are butchered and it's a national debate over anti-Semitism on camp, and you wait four days before you'll say a word about that at Stanford, uh, it's pretty disgusting. And yes. tearing down posters at Stanford of captives, these aren't pro-anything. They're just saying, please, in a humanitarian sense, let's not take captive. And they tore those down. So I, as a graduate, I feel like I, I don't know what I feel, but I feel that that university has betrayed generation after generation after generation. You know, when I come to work one day and I've been gone traveling and I go up in the tower at my address and it's Hunipio Serra Circle Boulevard, blah, blah, blah. And I come in, there's, I don't know where the name is. And so I ask one of my assistants, where is, oh, where were you? They changed the name. Why did they change the name? Well, he whipped people in the late in the 18th century. Oh, he did. So founding the missions and introducing agriculture and trying to spread the gospel was what, a crime? And, well, indigenous people. And that's what the university was telling people. Yeah. Just changed. Well, I said, well, why don't they get rid of Hunipio Serra Boulevard, the big one, the big one? Oh, we couldn't do that, the university says, because everybody has likes that address and it's known. Well, why don't we change the name of Stanford? Because Leland Stanford, whom I think was a great guy, but according to the DEI standards, he was a racist for hiring Oriental, Oriental is the word he used, not me, labor, and then castigating them and saying, we got to deport them after their usefulness has ended. And he took land that apparently was, well, I don't know what it was, Chumash land or something. Why doesn't Stanford call itself Chumash University? But right. point, I'm being facetious, but everybody no. knows what I mean, that they are yeah. selective in their outrage. They always no. go for the misdemeanor that's for the virtual signal, but they never go if they're going to be consistent in their in their recklessness. They never really change names. Yale doesn't change its name. They just go after particular little buildings and this and that. And then they tell everybody how wonderful they are when they're abjectly incompetent and immoral. And that's what's happened to Stanford. And I hope I'm not somebody taking glee in this. I really hope that the next stand, we're gonna, they're looking for a president. I hope they get a Larry Arndt type of president or John Silber. Or yeah. someone of that, or Max Nikias at USC, who did a wonderful job before he was railroaded out. They get somebody of that caliber to come in and shake things up. 
and restore the independence of that university and don't make it a dumping ground for left-wing administration uh, revolving door incompetence or partner to spy on people or to make phony Ponzi schemes that originate out of the university and have people from the university on their board or, you know, host somebody like Sam Bankman Freed on campus, on campus, on campus. He's there probably guilty of the greatest financial fraud in the United States history in terms of, of dollars. And he's on campus at his parents' home walking around uh, on, I guess, House arrest? I don't know what it was. Don't mean the money. Hey, I Victor. Know, I know farmers who were put in jail for not reporting, for improperly reporting a tax deduction on depreciation and by the IRS. They came to yeah. their, home, their home. And this guy is out on bail on the Stanford campus while his parents are faculty members. And they were... And everybody's going to say, well, no, 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 Victor. They were on leave of absence. They were on leave of absence when this happened. But when this was going on, they were faculty members. And they were intricately involved, not from me, but from their own testimonies and emails in the the running of the company. They were consultants. At least the father was. Yeah. So blah, blah, blah. Hey, a guy's going to jail because he did a tweet making fun of Hillary Clinton. So uh, the the outrages are plentiful out there. Hey, Victor, I'd, I'd like to take a minute to welcome back our sponsor, Cardi & Company. Cardi & Company is a family-operated, nationally recognized, fixed-income investment firm with more than 50 years of experience. If you want control of your financial destination and decisions, but also also want a um, uh, experienced and knowledgeable person's guidance based on your risk tolerance and financial objectives, well, then go visit cartico.com. That's C-A-R-T-Y-C-O.com. Generally, for initial investments of $5,000 and up, find the investment that's right for you by visiting cartico.com. That's C-A-R-T-Y-C-O.com. We thank Cardi and Company for sponsoring the Victor Davis Hanson Show. And I want to apologize to Cardi and Company for the little blip there because my dog's here and he's uh, he's starting to snore. And I <laughs> trying to keep him awake uh, so he wasn't snoring through the end. So anyway, Cardi and Company has been they've uh, sponsored this podcast before. and We're deeply appreciative. Hey, Victor, I did want to mention you since you mentioned the new criterion. I got the new issue um, a, a couple of weeks. Well, maybe it was last week even. But that, and we talked about the piece you have in there, a, a lyrical populist revolt. But there's also uh, we don't have to talk about this. I just want to mention it. A terrific piece by Anthony Daniels called Blanquette de Bard. And it's he's reviewing two books. Uh, one is titled White People in Shakespeare, Essays on Race, Culture and the Elite. And the other book is. The Great White Bard, How to Love Shakespeare While Talking About Race. And one is particularly insufferable, the, the first book I mentioned. And he just does a, a he is a terrific writer and he does yeah. a great job of, of carving these people up. So that's in the new issue um, of the new criterion. Remember which, what uh, literature has become, everyone. There is no criticism that talks about the beauty of Shakespeare's line or his prose or his basically his sonnets or any of his plays, comedies or tragedies. It's not that 
no no professor tries to explain to students why so many of our elements of wisdom or nuggets a line here a paragraph there that resonate throughout the centuries why that is or how he was able to capture the contradictions in the human condition instead what literature is now is started with deconstruction postmodernism now critical race theory what it is is you read a piece of literature you read romeo and juliet and you do not read it to be enlightened about love or human emotions or hypocrisies or contradictions or look at his style or try to emulate his prose or po no 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 you have to find out who is the victim and who is the victimizer and that will be predicated on race and othello he's a victim and shakespeare is a white oppressor and etc 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 and it just makes everything so boring and dreary and tired weepy and that's what and when you john heath who i've said before was a brilliant colleague that helped me co-write co-wrote i shouldn't say help me he co-wrote who killed homer um my god we pointed that out 25 years ago what they had done to the iliad and the odyssey and Sophocles, Euripides, Aristotle—it just takes all the fun and joy out of reading, and that's what right. they've done. And that's why yeah. Anthony Daniels really did a great job exposing yeah. that. Well, they've taken the joy out of uh, much of comedy uh, now. So, yeah, how do you, um, how do you, you know what? I was how do you laugh day, when you're walking on eggs, right? Well, <laughs> yeah. What would uh, wasn't you know what would uh, Don Rickles do today? <laughs> I don't think you could beat Don. He was funny. I don't yeah. think you could be. He could even say a word. No, not 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 a peep. No. Um, hey, uh, Victor, we we've got one last quick thing to get your thoughts on, and that's the Moody's rating of the U.S. economy. And we'll get to that and wrap up this show right after this final important message. At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia collusion, Hunter Biden, and the security and intelligence failures that preceded January 6th. Our stories have real impact and reach because we stick to the facts. I'm John Solomon. You can help me expand our honest, unvarnished, and unbiased reporting by becoming a premium member at Just the News. You'll get an ad-free experience and exclusive member-only access to events. And you'll be helping us dig up more truth. Join today at justthenews.com slash subscribe. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. BiteClear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Here's the headline, Victor. Moody's slashes U.S. financial outlook from stable to negative, all but capital word negative, amid concerns America's fiscal debts will will remain very large. This is from a uh, Daily Mail story. 
Um, I, I won't read any more of it, but Victor, we're, you know, we all know that size of the debt is, is massive. We are robbing printing money, robbing from our grandchildren, those yet unborn. Uh, that's, I don't think you're surprised by this rating, are you? Or is it long overdue even? Wow. I was surprised only in the sense that uh, it had not come earlier. And what do I mean by that? Once uh, we came out of the 2008 recession, near collapse, whatever, and the Federal Reserve under the Obama administration, but continued to the Trump and Biden until recently, was able to lower interest rates, really zero or negative interest. By that, I mean the rate of inflation was higher than the rate of interest. Then people in these political decision-making said to themselves, wow, you can borrow money and what you owe will be less and less every year. And with negative interest rates, you don't have to pay interest on it. So let's just borrow a borrow, borrow. It's going to go. And this was called new, I mean, modern monetary theory. Remember that? That debt is not bad. So George Bush, I think, increased. I have to be careful because I've said double the debt and people got angry. I think increased it by 80% over eight years. Barack Obama, I think, did double it. Donald Trump enlarged it by six or seven trillion. Joe Biden is going to outpace that even though he says he cut the deficit because of the huge uh, COVID expansion, and then he didn't quite expand at the same rate, so he calls that a cut. But the problem is now we're at $33 trillion, right? And we're not paying zero interest on it in real dollars. We are paying for 4 to 5%, 6%. And when you look at the size of the debt at $33 trillion, and you've got to pay 4 or 5% on that, you're talking about a trillion dollars. And the budget is only, I mean, even if it's bloated, if it ever got back down to a normal size, it'd be $5 trillion. But let's say it's $6.5 trillion. So you can see that you're paying 15 to 20%, whatever the actual budget will be, in interest. And that's larger than the defense budget. And that's just the beginning. Because this thing is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And at some point, historically, when you look at Rome or Byzantium or the classical Greek city-states, they have a, a remedy jock for this. And it's throughout classical literature. They can either inflate the currency. And what they usually do in the ancient world, they take a piece of bronze and they coat it with silver. And that silver gets thinner and thinner and thinner as they print more money or coin more money. And then finally, it becomes after about a month of use, it just turns red because it's all copper. Or they can confiscate wealth in an almost every, almost every single uh, classical author, whether it's Sallust or Cicero or Tacitus or Livy, it's cancel the debts, redistribution of property. And that means people can't afford anything and, and we've got to redo it. They can't pay. And what that means is if they've taken a student loan out and they owe the government money or they have a federally backed mortgage, FHA mortgage, 
or they have uh, a, a loan that the federal government somehow has also backed, they can't pay it back, small business loan. So the government then does what? It, it, it defaults. And what does that mean? They mean they go to Jack Fowler, who has a federal bond, savings bond, and they say to you, hey, Jack, I don't have the money because we've decided we're not going to print money because it's completely worthless. And if we print any more, we can't pay it back because it'll be like Germany and under Weimar. So I need to cover the debt from all of these defaulting student loans, all these defaulting scholarship loans, all these default federal backed mortgages that people can't afford. So I just can't pay you. I'm sorry. You're not going to get your federal interest on your bond, or maybe you won't even get your T-bill at all. That's the second thing. You renounce it, or you can confiscate it. And believe me, there's people on the left that have mentioned that. They go to, they'll say to Victor, hey, how much is in your 401k? Let's just say I have $100,000. Hey, we're going to take that. But you know what? We'll give you one year of Social Security credit for that. So you either have to confiscate money or you have to default on what the federal government owes or you have to uh, inflate the currency so it's worthless to pay it back in worthless dollars. Or you're going to have to cut about $2 trillion a year. And you, people are going to say, well, Victor, why don't you just raise taxes? Well, the problem with raising taxes is it's up to 39% the tax rate on a lot of income. And then you have to add, you know, seven plus on payroll taxes and Medicare taxes and gasoline taxes. State like California paying 13.3%. So you're getting up to a lot of people that are paying 55 or 60% of their income. And these are the people who pay their taxes, unlike the Bidens. And I think people will argue that California has the biggest black market in the United States where, you know, Jack, I know people who don't, they never pay sales tax. They buy tools, they buy food, they go to swap meets on the weekends, they go on rural corners and buy clothes. They never pay sales tax. And so it's very hard to raise the revenue when the people who do pay taxes are taxed to death and the people who don't pay taxes because they're getting it, they're operating a cash economy, think it's going to be mean, unfair, homophobic, racist, sex, whatever the ism or ology is to enforce the law. And then you can't raise money, then you, you decide what you want to do, but it has to be cut. And then all of a sudden people say, oh, you can't. Oh, my God, I'm starving to death. So they, you can't cut the way that we're on bread and circuses. So and then the military. I don't think we're in such good shape in the military. We're out of artillery shells. We're out of javelin missiles. We're out of a lot of key supplies. We're we're giving a lot of in, uh, wherewithal to Ukraine. We're going to have to give it to Israel. We're going to have to give it to Taiwan. So either you got to make more wealth. You have to encourage more productivity. You have to get the labor participation rate from 62% back up to what it was in the 40s or 50s, 75, 70%. And you're going to have to use all of your fossil fuel resources, burn clean coal, natural gas, oil, so you're not 
you know, you're either exporting and giving revenue or you're not importing or you're making the price of energy cheaper here than it is in China or Europe. So you're more competitive. But you have to do something like that. And I don't right. see any answers from anybody. I don't. And I, yeah. you know, I was shocked because I was really worried about this. And I wrote an article. So I went back and looked at administrations. Do you know which administration over eight years had the smallest rate of deficits? It was, was it Bill Clinton's? Absolutely. It was two percent. Yeah. It was two percent. And he was the only one to have three balanced budgets. I wrote that and I got a lot of conservatives said, well, you I can't believe you wrote that, you traitor. Basically, it was Newt Gingrich that did that. Yeah, it was. He threatened to shoot, shut down the government. He did. And he made a deal with Clinton. But why don't why don't why don't Democrat uh, Republican presidents do that? Why didn't Trump make a deal? Why didn't George W. Bush make a deal with and, and just balance the budget? We had the Simpson, Alan Simpson and Bowles. Remember that Erskine Bowles? They had it. They Obama commissioned them. They had a plan. If we had followed it, I think in five years from now, we would have been debt free, almost balance the budget uh, annually and paying off the debt. We were paying, actually paying off the debt in 98, 99, 2000. So, or maybe 99, 2000, but it's terrible. And then I, you can see it's, it's eroding the standard of living because inflation is eating up any increases in wages and labor participation is static. People are not expanding their businesses. The federal government is getting larger and larger. The regulations are squeezing people. The energy restrictions, the whole green experiment has failed. So I, I'm getting depressed about it a lot. Well, they'll come up with a solution and historic, history offers them the guidance. And it usually ends up with social tension, civil war revolution when they start tampering with money or stealing money or renouncing right. debt. Right. Yeah, because there's no United States for us uh, to uh, to help in, in the case. Of yeah, a there's one thing new, though. I want to finish this round with one thing that's new. Before everybody recognized what they were doing was desperate and wrong to print money, to pay off debts, to confiscate private wealth, to renounce debt, what you owe, okay, or to give credit from the government for money that they stole from you. Now they don't think that is bad. They call it modern monetary theory. It's good to borrow money, but more importantly, to spread the wealth or what Barack Obama calls an inclusive capitalism. They, in its rawest, most savage form, it's manifested with smash and grab, looting, uh, shoplifting that has no consequences as if this is redistribution of wealth. But in its most egregious form, it's entire, uh, you mentioned the COVID ripoff. Billions, hundreds of billions of dollars that we'll never we'll never see again. And the idea, the subtext of all that. Well, people, you know, they needed the money. It's gone. And maybe it was a good way to let other people get in on the the economy. And that. so there's no shame or penalty for people who abuse the financial system. And, and ten, that, that's a sacred test. I mean, yeah. Sam Bankman Freed, when he was charged with that, he should have been put on with no parole. And and the, f the proof of the pudding is in the eating. When you gave that guy parole and he got on his computer and was trying to interact with witnesses to leverage their testimony against him, 
It just showed you how bankrupt that idea was. Well, Victor, we're, uh, we've come to the conclusion. I'll quickly mention that <clears throat> you have a website, the Blade of Perseus, at victorhanson.com is the address. Please visit it, folks, and please subscribe. $5 gets you in the door, $50 for the full year. Why would you subscribe to read the many ultra articles that Victor writes uh, for the website. Uh, you'll also find links to his books. And the forthcoming book, by the way, is, is The End of Everything, and that will be out in May. So why don't you uh, pre-order it? And then as for me, Jack Fowler, I write uh, Civil Thoughts, the free weekly email newsletter for the Center for Civil Society at Amphil. comes out every Friday, it's 14 recommended readings of uh, great articles and essays I've come across the previous week. Sign up, don't worry, no cost, no risk, not selling your name. Um, Victor, um, I'll read a quick comment. Of course, folks can leave comments on your own website, and they do, many do. Um, and at Apple slash iTunes, where you can rate the show zero to five stars. And here's a comment from um, from Bruce in Grand Rapids, Michigan. He writes, uh, VDH, in decades past, if 33 U.S. citizens had been killed as in October 7th in a foreign country by terrorists, how would Republican POTUS have responded? Well, that's not a comment about the show. Actually, I, I hope we had time. I was going to ask that. But we'll ask that. You know, Victor, we should talk about that next time because, you know, where we have... Americans killed, the Americans hostages. And, you know, as much as we want to lament about Joe Biden, and we should, there seems to be a, a lack of, maybe even a lack of interest among the populace that fellow citizens uh, are being uh, uh, kept by our enemies. But that's it. Thank I've never, you. Yeah, I've never Go heard ahead. a word about it. Yeah, I don't I don't hear anybody say to Representative Tlaib, are you worried that 30 30 Americans were butchered by Hamas or that your fellow 12 of your fellow Americans are held hostage. No, she's not worried. Nobody talks about it. I, again, just to, one last rant today. Sure. We were willing under Joe Biden to give one point two billion dollars per hostage to Iran. Six billion. And we're not willing to even talk about what Hamas has taken. You know what I'm saying? We don't right. even talk about it. And so I don't know why we don't, but it seems that we want to do two things. We want to not blame Hamas and we want to enrich Iran. And that's the common denominator. Oh, wow. Twisted world. Twisted, twisted Biden anyway. Hey, um, and Kerry and Obama. Victor, thanks for all the wisdom you shared today. Thanks, everyone, uh, for listening. Thanks to the, the Victor Davis Hanson Fan Club on Facebook. Good people there. Uh, follow us. Check out Victor's uh, Victor on X slash Twitter. His handle is at VD Hanson. Victor, you've been terrific. Thanks so much. Folks, we'll be back soon with another episode of the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Bye-bye. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and veggies may actually lower, lower your risk of cancer. Hopefully you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. If not, you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. 
There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is found in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. Will Field of Greens prevent, treat, or cure cancer? No, but it's so powerful, it promises at your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or your money back. I got you 15% off and free rush shipping. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code VICTOR, V-I-C-T-O-R, for your discount. That's promo code VICTOR at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. 